When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Swing and a drive, right field and deep. Back goes Aquino, it's got a chance, gone! Get out the tape measure, long gone! Fly the W! Cubs fans, it's time to fly the W with Dustin Rhodes and Paul Crawley-Jean. You are listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. This is season two, episode number eight. Dexter Fowler retires, and then he returns. Don't forget to listen, download, review, and most importantly, subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on the socials, Fly the W670 on Twitter, Instagram, and Fly the W on Facebook. Of course, you can email us at flythew670gmail.com. I'm Dustin Rhodes, executive producer of the Mully and Haw Show. On 670 The Score, we're on from 5.30 to 10 a.m. daily. And, of course, we are your radio home for the Cubs. Good afternoon, Crowley, on this Thursday. How are you? Oh, doing great, man. Uh, you know, good news uh, this last week. Had a lot of fun with it, right? Absolutely right. Dexter Fowler retires, but now he's back and he's working with the Cubs, Crowley. Yeah, so for people that were paying attention, and we did put it on our socials, Dexter Fowler retired on Tuesday. He announced it on Twitter. And I'll tell you, the thing I love the best about the Twitter announcement, of course, he's, you know, thanking everybody, you know, from all the different organizations. But he said the feeling of bliss while healing, hearing the words all-star. Where was he an all-star? Only with the Cubs, right? Only when time. About, when he talks about World Series champions, who's he talking about? The Cubs. And the picture that he used to kind of write his beautiful speech right there from Grant Park from the World Series rally with the championship hat on. So, I mean, you know that Dexter just, I mean, loved being a Cub. So you're, you're talking about one of the all-time lovable characters as far as, as Cubs history is concerned. He's a 14th round pick by Colorado in 2004. He plays for the Rockies and then gets traded to Houston in 2014. He plays one season in 2014. He has one more year left of free agency. And what ends up happening is, is that the Cubs were able to get him. So obviously there are, we, we've talked about this, Dustin, you have to sometimes make the big move, which the Cubs did. But, but to me that 2014, 2015 off season that the Cubs had, they had two big moves, but a lot of little moves that, you know, when you look back now, you're like, oh man, that was so important. But back then you didn't think much of it. I mean, the two biggest moves that 2014, 15 off season was Joe Madden, you know, got him as a manager. And that was a total fluke because of an opt-out in his contract once the GM left Tampa Bay. Um, the other one, of course, is John Lester signing a six-year, $155 million contract that I think, Dustin, is the greatest Cub free agency signing of all time and could be the greatest Chicago free agency signing of all time. I was just about to go there, Crowley. Could be arguably the greatest free agent signing in the history of Chicago sports, but... Um... There is a Blackhawk signing that uh, was right was right there and also did result in uh, multiple championships. Uh, unfortunately, the Cubs did not win multiple, but they did get that 100-year uh, uh, <clears throat> piano off their back. Absolutely. And so some of the smaller moves, they got Jason Hamill back that offseason after they traded to get Addison Russell, if you remember that one. And then they traded two minor league pitchers for catcher Miguel Montero. Everyone knows my love for Miggy and had some of the biggest hits in that postseason run. They signed journeyman catcher David Ross to a two-year deal, who most Cub fans probably was like, who? But uh, one of their last moves was 2014 Pretty big deal. 2015, Pretty right? big deal. Yeah. Last move that they make is about 2014-2015 offseason was on January 19th. They traded Luis Valbuena, rest in peace, and Dan Straley for Dexter Fowler. And so, you know, Dustin, when we talk about pretty much, you know, every offseason, the big question that we've had to answer pretty much every year we've been alive is who is going to bat leadoff? 
It is an annual ritual that we have to deal with. We got to deal with it this year, Dustin. Who's going to bat leadoff? Right. I don't Who's know. Who's bat leadoff? Right. Is it, is right? it, is it C- Cody Bellinger? Is it? Um, gee, I mean, we could, we could. Nico. I mean, that that's a whole nother. That's a whole nother topic potentially. I mean, is it is it Nico Horner? I mean, I don't, I, I don't think you'd want Swanson leading off, right? You're paying him to drive some runs in. Hap, no. Wisdom, no. It, 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 Trey, no. Cody Bell, Stack, no. I mean, honestly, the only real, like, obvious one to me is Nico Horner. That, that right. That's the obvious one. Um, and I don't even know if that's super ideal. Maybe, maybe Suzuki. What do you think of Suzuki as a leadoff hitter? I, I'm not. I'm not fond of it, to be honest. But it may be. But this is the problem that we constantly talk about year after year. When is I Dexter about, Fowler still available, Crowley? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and so it's you think about the great leadoff Cubs hitters, and it's just a real tiny list. You know, Bobby Dernier. I think about in the '80s, you had Kenny Lofton for half a season, but in general, it's just always been an issue. And so having a switch hitting leadoff guy was just absolutely crucial and i remember to me the very first big dexter fowler moment was uh fowler moment was on april 11th he he hit what wound up being the game-winning two-run home run on an 0-2 pitch off former cub latroy hawkins this is in colorado in the ninth inning to give the cubs a 6-5 win over the rockies my brother his wife and my future nephew in you know in in uh, you know was my my sister-in-law was pregnant they were at that game so you know that always kind of meant a lot to me but in 2015 he hits 250 346 411 17 home runs 20 stolen bases career high 84 walks right and so it, it, he leads the team with 102 runs scored and they make that great postseason run all the way to the NLCS before getting swept by the Mets now, if people don't remember there, Dexter is technically now a free agent. So he's off that very first deal, and now he can make his millions of dollars. Um, and it looked like he was it was a done deal. It was, I want to say, Buster only even reported three years, $35 million with the Baltimore Orioles. And, and again, we were back to the who's going to lead off. But then, this is according to Dexter Fowler. There was, they had a rough agreement in place, multi-year deal. And then the Orioles said, like, well, now we're going to subtract the value of the pick we were losing because they would have lost the qualified offer, right? And so Fowler then said, well, if you're going to, you know, subtract a little money, then then I want an opt out. And Baltimore said no. And somehow, some way, Theo Epstein swoops in. And so the Cubs are in Mesa. This is they're in Mesa at this time, right? And and the team's all sitting there and they're having a meeting and out comes Theo Jed and Dexter Fowler and they walk out on the field and the players were confused and they thought, okay, <laughs> Dexter's here to say goodbye. But instead it's announced that Fowler signs a one year, uh, $8 million deal with an option for 2017 at nine and a $5 million buyout. He ends up with 13 million in guaranteed money. And Theo Epstein said, I'm never going to be able to top that. But Dustin, what a way to start 2016. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was an unbelievable uh, situation. I was already missing him. And, uh, yeah, that was uh, that was really cool. It was cool when he did announce his retirement that uh, what you just described, and you described it very well, was um, was was floating around uh, social media and whatnot. And, and, and then he had just an unbelievable year for the Cubs. Yep, he comes in 2016, he hits 276, 393, 447, 13 home runs, 13 stolen bases in 125 games. Now, if people remember the 2016 season, they didn't go wire to wire, they went close. I think they were out of first place like that very first week for like a day. But they burst out of the gate, but then right around the middle of June, he injured his hamstring and he was out for a month. Um, right about until the All-Star break. And if Cub fans remember, the Cubs really struggled for that month that he was out. But the Cubs were 80 and 38 in games that he started and just 23 and 20 in games that he didn't. So there was never a question that, as Joe Madden put it, with Dexter Fowler, it was you go, we go. That was, you know, for the team, you know? Yep, he goes, we go, you go, we go, uh, the straw that stirs the drink, whatever whatever way you wanted to put it. it. But before we get into how important he was in the playoffs as well, and obviously the World Series, Crowley, we have, and it's still an ongoing argument on the Mully and Haw show, specifically between Mully and I, where I said that, yes, Chris Bryant 
was the MVP of that season for the the, the, the baseball league, mm-hmm. but Dexter Fowler was the MVP of the Chicago Cubs. And I think you can have two different guys. You could have the league MVP and still not even be the MVP on his own team. And I know that doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense to people, but as you point out, you look at their record, Crowley. Right. What was the record when he was there and what was the record when they weren't? And Joe Madden, he goes, we go. You go, we go. Yeah, I mean, it, it's clear he was so important to that team, and 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 clearly they don't win the World Series if he's not there. I 100% believe that yeah. with everything. He, you, needed, you needed lots of people, but you definitely needed him. And as Joe Madden always says, you definitely needed Kyle Schwarber. Whoops. And, <laughs> and so on the biggest stage, though, that was probably in Dexter Fowler's Last game as a Cub, game seven, biggest stage you can imagine, first batter, he hits a leadoff home run off Corey Kluber, the first home run in a World Series game seven ever. And I think for all Cub fans, it'll always be that memory of him kind of turning around backwards and just shouting into the dugout and and, and the roar of the crowd on that game seven, that that was just unbelievable. Now, the next, you know, when, when the parade happens and that's all said and done, I remember very clearly being in Grant Park and he said, you know, uh, they always said, you go, we go, and now I go is what he said. And that was, that was it. He signs a five-year, $82 million deal with the Cardinals. He makes his money. He's eventually traded and reunited. That, that deal didn't work out. So last year of his contract, he gets uh, traded over to the Angels and Joe Madden. And then he gets injured. He injures a knee there. But he never lived up to that contract. He struggled with injuries. Finished up uh, in the Blue Jays system. Never played for the Blue Jays major team. But that's it. But how fun was it, Dustin, that Dexter Fowler announces his retirement on Tuesday. And then on Thursday, the Marquee Sports Network announced that Fowler would be the newest member of the pre- and post-game show with Cole Wright, who was on our show, what, two weeks ago, maybe? Right. And, and, and he made his debut a few hours later. And so I did watch him on Marquee, and I don't think there's anybody who doubts in their entire mind that Dexter Fowler is just going to be a wonderful addition to that. Yeah, and he was uh, he was great. I used uh, some of the audio from Dexter Fowler this morning on my uh, little pregame show ahead of Mullion Hall between 5 and 5.30 and uh, had uh, some suggestions and recommendations for uh, Corey Kluber and how to handle center field at Wrigley Field. So that was uh, that was pretty cool to hear. But, yeah, he made a great debut, sounded absolutely smooth, no, uh, no, no problems whatsoever. I think he's a great addition to the Marquee Sports Network. You know, Dustin, I was thinking about what you're saying about who the MVP of the team was. And there are, again, you know, you know, David Ross is a guy that we've talked about that on that team wasn't the best player on the team, but was extremely important as far as his role in keeping guys in order, policing the clubhouse, making sure guys were approaching the game the right way. Dexter Fowler was somebody that he, you know, his relationship with his teammates and the way he was, he loosened that clubhouse. And I think for me, like when I think about the difficulty that every Cub team up until 2016 had, you talked about the umbrella or I'm sorry, the uh, the piano on the back and all that stuff is all the pressure that came with that curse, the curse of the Billy Goats, the Black Cats didn't win in 100 years, all this stuff that every team had to deal with. And, and it's, it's funny because every team always said, oh, it wasn't a big deal, it wasn't a big deal. But once you get into the eye of that hurricane and everybody starts pressuring you, that's you had to have the right ingredients on that team. And I think that Joe Madden was the greatest manager for that team. And I believe that David Ross was the perfect policeman for that team. And I believe that Dexter Fowler was the guy that kept you, you know, kept it honest, but kept it loose in the clubhouse, right? Kept it fun. Yeah, absolutely. Kept it fun. Yep. Didn't allow those guys to take it too serious. And, and, and when I think about the world series and I'll never forget this, it was right around, uh, you know, it was right before they were down three one, and you're thinking this this another year. Wait till next year, you know. And and maybe there's some Cub fans that thought they were going to come back. That's really hard to do. I mean, three one to come back and win it, um, and then have to do two games in Cleveland, especially. And so, the thing I always remember is number one, Joe Madden, right before games uh, six and seven. It was right around Halloween, and instead of like instead of like being like, okay, we're going to practice, we're going to come in there, we're going to go down to Cleveland early. 
he let those guys trick or treat. I don't know if you remember that. He I don't remember. I don't remember that. But I know Joe was always very. Uh, what did they call it? Uh, American Legion ball ish. Yeah. Right. He wanted yeah. to treat it like American Legion ball. But just be, show but, up and be ready to play. Right. And and the and so the funny thing is 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 um, Ben Zobris lived in Wrigleyville at the time in Lakeview. Obviously, like a lot of those guys do. But uh, he had a he had a deal with fanatics. It's a, they sign these deals and you can you know, you, you get paid this for every autograph, da da da. Well all of a sudden it goes on social media, Ben Zobris was signing baseballs for kids and giving them to him for Halloween. And fanatics right. calls that was up the trick or, and, that was the trick or treating, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fanatics calls up and tells him to stop doing it, but that's just so Ben Zobris. But right. the other And he would ride his bike in his uniform over to oh, the yeah. field, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but think about that. Like I said, just keeping those guys relaxed. And then the other thing I remember, I want to say it's before game six or game seven. I can't remember. But there is Anthony Rizzo and there is Dexter Fowler playing Super Mario Kart. Like before what you can argue is one of the biggest games. I mean, you got to remember, the Cubs had the longest streak. The, 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 in, the Indians had the second longest streak. But you know what? These guys were loose. They were having fun. And how often did we see these teams you know, Cubs teams in the past tighten up. I'm thinking about Leon Durham, you know, not not getting the glove all the way down in 1984. I'm thinking about uh, Alex Gonzalez not turning the double play in 2003. You felt it. You felt the anxiety. Those guys never did, and I think Dexter Fowler was a big part of it. And I also think that now that he's on the marquee network, I think he's going to bring that fun. I think – you know, I'm not I'm not going to diss anybody that's on the marquee network, but I don't think they've ever had somebody as telegenic as he is, as fun as he is. I think him and Cole are going to have a really great relate. You already kind of saw them just bouncing off each other yesterday. I think it's going to make for a better pre and post game. I don't know how many games they have him slotted for because they do switch it up. You know what I mean? Whether yeah. it's Sean Marshall right. or Ryan Sweeney or whoever. I just think that that I don't know what Dexter wants to do. Um, I don't know what, you know, how much, you know, he has a a beautiful home in Vegas. He's got a wife and two wonderful little daughters and all that stuff. Uh, I don't know what his plans are, but I'm just thinking that 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 was one of the things I thought about with Dexter always was when this guy retires, he's got a career in broadcasting waiting for him. And now that he's here, I'm hoping that I think I think it would make a better product to have him more consistently there personally. Uh, my keychain, my 670 to score keychain with the final call embedded in the keychain. How about that, Crowley? That, that uh, pulled, is good. Pulled that one out of the drawer as you were talking, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to pull this bad boy out. It's never been opened. Still in the bag. Well, you see. Some, you... Someday, someday, right? This, this could be worth lots and lots of money, Crowley, right here. Okay? Absolutely. Keep it in the bag so you, you don't ruin it. But I thought right. that was the Pat Hughes bobblehead because there's a bobblehead that has the that does the That does the well. same thing. Absolutely. Yeah, very, very cool. I agree with you. And telegenic, Crowley, that's a, uh, that's a Scrabble word. Nice, uh, nice job there. This is the Fly the W670 podcast. This is season two. This is episode number eight. We'd like to remind you to listen, download, review, and subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. And in this segment, we are talking to Cubs pitching prospect Ben Brown. Joining me now on the Fly the W podcast, Cubs pitching prospect Ben Brown, if I'm reading his name right there. How are you, Ben? How's everything going? Good, yeah. Spelled my name wrong. Started off hot, but uh, <laughs> things are good. Um, enjoying a great off season and uh, really ready for a couple weeks from now. So, All right. Well, so you're relatively new in the Cubs system, so I thought we'd kind of get to know you a little bit. You were born in Tucket, New York, and you I got read. It. Spot on. Right? I got that. I practiced. Yeah, that was good. And uh, I read that by two years old, you were breaking windows by throwing baseballs through them. Is that true? Yeah, that's all I ever wanted to do was play baseball. I don't really have like an exact date or age where I started playing, but that's all I did. And I broke some windows for sure. <laughs> so so is there anybody that got you interested, like a family member or, or a friend, or just was it something you just picked up on and fell in love with? Yeah, uh, my brother wanted to teach me every sport. Um, so whatever I was down for, mostly like, Football, um, basketball, baseball, and hockey. Those were like his big four, just because like the Islanders, he was a big Cowboys fan, obviously, but the Mets and 
Um, and then my dad was all for whatever I wanted to play. He initially wanted me to play soccer, but he got me. He he took me from elementary school to high school to college, to pro ball or whatever. And um, and then I guess also my uncle Kevin was a huge Yankees fan growing up, so he always you know was trying to push the Yankees on me and stuff like that. So um, the, between those three, baseball so, was definitely in my genes. So I got to ask, Mets fan or Yankees fan? Um, I grew up a Red Sox fan growing up, actually, to counter <laughs> my uncle Kevin and my dad. And <laughs> all right, so is there was there somebody in particular that you grew up a fan of as far as a Red Sox, like someone that you really like emulated or really kind of got you into the game? Yeah, Josh Beckett was my dude for sure from a starting standpoint. Um, Kurt Schilling, and then uh, I also Jonathan Papelbon and Daniel Bard were like pretty electric in the back end of the bullpen. So. Just, just so you're aware, it, it was. Uh, I'm. I've, I've been a season ticket holder for over 20 years, and I was mm-hmm. there in 2003. Josh yeah. Beckett was a rookie, Marlins pitcher, yeah. Cubs Marlins. Oh, I'm like, who the hell is this Josh? You gotta understand, man. We we didn't think the Marlins were gonna come close to touching us, and, and three to one lead, and you blow it up. But 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 that's neither here nor there. But yeah, it's okay. Red Sox fan from New York, you know, getting your yeah. uncle. I like that. So you pitched from your high school team, Ward Melville, 15 and three record, your career tied for second all time win list, right? Now yeah. you, you went seven and zero during the regular season uh, in your sophomore year, but then you had a loss in the playoffs. But then after your junior year, you had to get an appendectomy. How difficult was that setback? And what did you do to help you uh, work your way back to the team? Yeah, I, was, I wasn't really like a high profile recruit. So I really needed that junior year to uh, get some looks and stuff and, um, halfway through, I get my, my appendix ruptures. And um, basically, my only way to come back from that, I try to come back really quick and do like what a normal kid would do and try to play a week after he came out of the hospital. <laughs> um, but ultimately, it took it took me kind of walking away from throwing a baseball for a couple of months just to get my strength back. And that was in like September, um, where most guys are still playing of my senior year. I need some time just away from the game to get stronger and heal up. And um, it was a fun process though, getting to eat a little bit more food than usual and <laughs> trying to gain some weight and all that cool stuff. So, yeah. And like you said, you know, you needed those looks. And, and so in 2017, you're selected by the Philadelphia Phillies in the 33rd round on the third and final day mm-hmm. of the amateur draft. How nervous were you on that day and who was with you? Yeah, I was, um, it was desperation mode on my part. Um, texting, just trying to figure out what's going on. And, um, you know, I wasn't planning, I didn't think I was going to be a high traffic whatsoever, but I really, you know, put all my eggs in the draft basket. And um, I was with one of my childhood coaches who's now um, coaching at um, college ball. He's coaching division one ball. So he coached me all the way growing up and he's my best friend's big brother. So I was with my friend and his older brother, Matt. And then I was with my mom and my dad was at work. So, Oh man, that had to have been exciting. And you were committed to play baseball at Siena college in Albany. And then Mm -hmm. you get drafted. Was it hard for you to, you know, is it a hard decision to pass on college to go to the pros or was there no doubt that that's what you were doing? There was no doubt for sure. Yeah. (laughs) I was, um, like I said, I put all my eggs in the draft basket. So I would have been pretty disappointed if it didn't work out. Now you start out pitching for the Phillies in the Gulf coast rookie league in 2017 and, and then you, you started out there in 2018. And then in 2018, while pitching in that Gulf Coast League in July, you had a game where you struck out 16 batters over six innings against the Gulf League Tigers. Do you remember <laughs> that game? And were you like, did you have any idea how many you had struck out at that point? Yeah. Um, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure like, I let up a hit in the first inning. Um, so it wasn't like I was like flirted with a no-hitter or anything. But I, I love striking out people. And like that's a huge part of my game. And um, you know, being aggressive with two strikes. And it was the, it was a good opportunity against a team that, you know, maybe wasn't playing the best that year or whatever the case is. And um, it, it was it was a lot of fun, though. That's, That's for sure. imp- it's impressive. You finished Thank 2018 you. with the promotion to the Williamsport Crosscutters, and you start the 2019 season with the Lakewood Blue Claws. And after four games, you find out you have to have Tommy John surgery. Did you feel that during the game that something was off, your velocity went down? Uh, what was it? What was that like? Yeah, I think I actually um, tore my UCL initially like August of 2018. 
um, just my velocity and everything went down the rest of that summer. I was in a lot of elbow pain. I lost like all like the flexion in my elbow um, or extension in my elbow. Um, so I kind of just wore it. Um, and then they kind of shut me down in instructs that year just to just because I threw a lot of innings that year. They thought it was just like an innings thing. And then, um, you know, I go up to Lakewood and it was after my second outing out there where I was lawn tossing in, in the middle of the week and I felt another pull in my elbow. So I threw two games up there with, you know, the elbow being pretty fried. And then I, I basically just threw until I couldn't throw anymore. So after that fourth start or fourth outing, um, I couldn't throw a baseball anymore. So that's when I had to kind of call it quits um, and get the surgery. <laughs> uh, if, if you're going to have the surgery, 2019 was the year to get it. I mean, you know, there's no season in 2020 because of COVID. Mm -hmm. But you come back in 2021, you start out in the Florida Complex League, and then you go to the Jersey Shore Blue Claws. Now, yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't know East Coast very well here, a Midwest guy. But uh, was that, was that, that had, it seems like it'd be a fun place to play, and I think it's probably close to home, maybe a little bit that some yeah. people could visit and watch you play. Yeah, it was a blast playing so close to home, and. Um... Like I'm two and a half hours away. I can go home on an off day if I had to, and um, which was which was great. Um, my parents never really missed a home start. Um, they never really missed a road start either when I was in the South Atlantic League, nice. uh, which was just which was amazing. And you know we never took it for granted because obviously that can change in the blink of an eye where you're trying to put in another spot. But you know I didn't have a season, basically like a full season if you combine 21, 22 where you know, you have family at every game was, was really, was really such a blessing for sure. Yeah. And, and, and you, you played in the South Atlantic league in 2022. Again, you had your best year. You were now, you were named the South Atlantic uh, league pitcher of the year. What do you attribute the success to the, this last season, this 2022 season with for? Yeah. I think just health, um, being able to work on things in your bullpens and catch play. And it was my first ever healthy year really since like 2018. Um, so being able to experience that, you know, I felt like I was still pretty fresh to the game. You know, I haven't really had that many innings and having that full year of being able to make adjustments. I mean, I started off the year really bad. And if it wasn't for the fact that my, I, my arm felt fine. So I was able to work on those things and make adjustments. And eventually, you know, I ended up the year pretty strong. So. Now, it, Jason Stark at The Athletic reported in, like, July that you were on a list of prospects, that Dave Dombrowski was telling teams, nope, we're not going to move this guy. But less than two hours before the trade deadline, you were traded to the Cubs for a reliever, David Robertson. Where were you when you found out, and how surprised were you to be traded? Yeah, I just got moved up to AA with the Phillies. So I thought that was a little bit of like a, we're probably not going to move you. You know, why would we put you in AA a day before you're going to get traded? Um <laughs> But we had an 11 a.m. game, so I go to the field, unpack all my stuff, um, and then I went up to the catcher, who's like my, one of my best friends, Logan O'Hoppy, and um, I, I said, "Hey, man, whatever happens today, hap like whatever happens, happens." Just want to let you know I love you, man. And um, I end up going back to our ho my hotel room, and I'm going to take a nap because it's just such a stressful long day. And the moment I put my phone down, I get a call that I've been traded to the Cubs, and um, Logan ended up getting traded to the Angels like 15 minutes before, after, whatever it was. So pretty cool. And you're going to see him probably in spring training because they yeah, they have uh, their stadium yeah. out there. Yeah, the spring training, so that'll be fun. Awesome. For sure, yeah, it's it's so it's great. Now, what did you know about the Cubs prior to being traded? Did you know much about them as far as the organization is concerned, or not too much? Yeah, there was actually some discussion in 21 that that was a possibility as well, um, which was really neat. Um, so I've kind of always had the Cubs on my mind and. Um, my wife's dad is a huge Cubs fan. Um, like he got Cubby tattoos all over his arm. Oh, um, right. he's, I can't wait till he gets down to spring training and gets to show him off. But, um, so her whole side of the family is huge Cubs fans. So I've known nothing but amazing stuff about the organization from them. And, um, their entire backyard was old Cubs stuff and super neat. So, yeah. I, I can kind of relate to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I've always like, it's always been something we kind of like talked about and dreamed about. And, um, when I found out it was the Cubs, it was like, you know, I was in just awe. I was so excited. Now, Ben, no, no pressure here, but like two of the greatest trades in Cubs history were with the Phillies. Cubs got yeah. Fergie Jenkins 
from the Phillies and the Cubs yeah. got Ryan Sandberg Ryan from the Sandberg. Phillies. So yeah. no, no pressure, man. No pressure. No, it's all right. <laughs> you were, you were assigned to the double a affiliate, the Tennessee Smokies. Um, was there anything difficult with that transition or how did that go for you as far as kind of going to the new league and you had never pitched in double a before. So how was that adjustment for you with the double a hitters? Yeah, I think I never on the mound. I, I wasn't really comfortable yet. Um, just, you know, first time pitching away from the Phillies and, you know, Honestly, first time pitching away from New Jersey um, at an affiliate for my entire life. So it was like kind of like getting comfortable, you know, being in the new environment. But the teammates were the uh, those are the best teammates I've ever had in my life. Michael Ryan, the manager, was the best manager I've ever had in my life. Like, I absolutely loved our pitching coach. I loved our bench coach. I loved our PD guys. Like, the staff was amazing. The, you know, the, the team was just a bunch of great guys who were super talented. So it was really easy to fit in with those guys. And as far as, you know, co competing in double A, I think like I showed some good stuff, but I think that there was a lot of stuff I need to work on and um, hopefully we're in a better spot to attack those weaknesses this year. So, well, you had a lot of fun in Tennessee because you guys went on a crazy run. You fell one game short of winning the yeah. championship. What was that experience like for you? Oh man. I mean, <laughs> it was the coolest baseball experience I've ever, I've ever been a part of. And um, being on that journey with the guys, you know, everyone's a little beat up at that time. Everyone's tired, but everyone wants to win so bad. So it's like, you know, we're showing up to the field. We're, you know, we're tired. We're sore. We're like, man, we want this. We want this. And, you know, we came up one game short, but um, it was a blast, you know, beating Rocket City. And, you know, they had a lot of really good guys on that team. And, you know, we went in there and got our business done. And, you know, it was it was so much fun, though. Everyone worked so hard. And everyone deserved, you know, that ring. And unfortunately, we didn't get it. But, you know, we, were, we, were, we had a lot of fun doing it. It looked like it. Now, in mid-September, first time I ever met you was mid-September. They called up 14 players to Wrigley Field for an orientation. Yeah. It was you and Ryan Jensen, DJ Hers, Jordan, Wicks, Ben Leeper. You had a bunch of the hitters, uh, Pete Armstrong, Brennan Davis, Owen Cassie. What was that orientation like for you? Was that the first time you were ever at Wrigley Field? Yeah, first time ever. I've never experienced something that, like, pro before you know like that like you know you go to Wrigley Field you're staying in a pretty nice hotel um really nice hotel the nicest hotel I've ever seen in my life um so like you have you have that whole experience and you're seeing the most beautiful ballpark in America and um you're going to experience you get to experience Wrigleyville and on top of it you know you're with some of your best friends and you're meeting the staff and you know the ins and outs of how to make a debut and how to you know how to act or whatever and it was such a great experience. It's something I never experienced with the Phillies or anywhere. You know, it's what the Cubs did there was awesome for sure for all of us. And you get to see the clubhouse, which is just. <laughs> oh my, it's magical. <laughs> it's, it's unreal, man. So that, yeah. that had to have been exciting. And, and then you were at the game and it was like the end of the season and you're still seeing 35,000 people yeah, when you when the Cubs are like 20 games out of it. Can you imagine what it's like when, if you guys are, you oh know, putting gosh. together a strong season? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's no joke. I mean, you can turn on, you can turn on MLB Network in, in the game in September, and you don't really, you know, your expectations are pretty low for the turnout. And then you go to Wrigley Field, and you see a game in September, and it's kind of getting cold out, and I'm sure people have jobs. Kids are at school, um, and it's, you know, like you said, 35,000 people there. And, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. It is, it is just, you know, it's, it's really cool. Well, you did get to see some of the madness of the fan base on that day, but you really got the full dose recently when you got to, you were invited to Cubs convention. You took yeah. part in the road to Wrigley session with uh, Lance Brozdowski and Elise Meneker and all the different Cubs prospect. What was your impression of that weekend? Was that something more intense than you've ever seen in your life? Yeah. Um, I had such a blast. My wife had such a blast. Um, the only thing was that I was so tired. Like, it was like, there was nothing wrong with anything. It was like meeting everybody. And like, you just wanted to say hello to every single person there. You wanted to, to be around. You wanted to get to know where people are from, where are you coming from? Like, you know, obviously like being with your teammates too is so sweet. And it was like, wake up and, you know, you have this long list of things you're going to do during the day. And it was always something to look forward to. And I, I, I just can't, I hope I get to do that for the next, 20 years, man, because that was just so much fun. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure, man. And, and the one thing I always think about is what it must be like to be backstage before the opening ceremonies. And, yeah. you know, there's there's Andre Dawson and there's oh, Ryan man. Sandberg and there's Lee Smith and there's Fergie and Billy Williams. I mean, still looking good. I mean, yeah. just had to have been like pinch yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it was it was just it was crazy. It was so much fun. 
Now you've been out in Mesa for a little while now, a couple mm -hmm. what, a couple weeks. I was out there. I've been out here since November. November. Okay, uh, so you've been out yeah. there a couple months. Yeah. yeah I've wow. Been, I've been really enjoying it. <laughs> so what do you think of the facility so far? As far as you know, when you know you came from the Philly system, but I know that the Cubs put a lot into the facilities in Mesa, yeah. and it is really just like like nothing. I mean, it's just so funny when I talk to guys and and you know the old Wrigley Clubhouse and the old Ho Ho Camp Park and just how different what the facilities look like. You guys got top of the line, everything, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's nothing like it. I mean, it is, everything is to the max. It is ginormous. There's, you know, there's unlimited amounts of stuff you can do there. Um, having the staff there in the off season is, is just so great too, because, you know, you need soft tissue to be done. Like you can go in there and get your work done. You need to do your arm carry. It's everywhere. To, there's, everyone's there to help you out. Um, the pitching coordinators, Casey has been huge for me this off season. Um, and the coaches are just so smart and they're here all off season. It's something I've never, you know, never done before. And, um, I wouldn't have been here if it wasn't so great. And, you know, like I wouldn't spend my off season here if I didn't truly believe this was the best thing for me. And it really is. I mean, this is such a great experience and great opportunity to be here all off season. Now tell the, tell the listeners what you feature. I know you got a fastball that can sometimes touch 98, a slider curveball. How do you mix those pitches up and are you developing anything new with that repertoire? <laughs> Yeah, I was basically like fastball curveball last year for the most part. I mean, I threw a slider every once in a while that wasn't really that analytically gifted. Um, so this offseason, our huge focus has been adding the third and fourth pitch with a slider and a changeup. And um, I'm, I'm really, really excited about those two pitches. And I think they're going to be a great part of my arsenal in 23. So All hopefully, right. yeah. <laughs> now, as far as you're concerned, what do you like to do outside of baseball? Interests, hobbies, anything that you would say, yeah, yeah, this is kind of something that I like to do just for fun. Yeah. I mean, me and my wife always, you know, have our off days consist of, you know, going to church on Sunday and grabbing Smoothie King after that. That's like a tradition. And then we'll um, maybe have, you know, watch a movie at night. We're like very low key. Um, I do like to golf a little bit, but um with the busy schedule and everything, it's kind of tough to prioritize going to play 18 or whatever when you kind of just want to take a nap or something. But um, I do like golf, if that's like my one hobby, hanging out with the animals and stuff. So, Yeah, you know, I see I see people out there, different players are out there golfing and stuff like that. And, yeah. uh, the, you know, you, you think about it, 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 it's, it always seems like baseball players, doesn't matter who it is, what generation it is, just getting mm -hmm. on the course. I think about some of those pitchers like when uh, – Greg Maddox, you know what I mean? Or oh, John yeah. Lester and John Lackey. I mean, those guys, you couldn't get them off the golf course. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no doubt. Um, that, that might be me one day. Not yet, but maybe if I have a little more, if I have some spending money, I can do something like that. Nice. And, and, and so when you kind of envision a successful 2023 season, what do you, what, what do you kind of see in your eyes? What are you hoping to do as far as your goals for 2023? Yeah, I just want to be a workhorse. I want to make every start, no matter what level I'm at. I want to pitch deep in the games. Um, and I want to contribute in any way I can to the big league team, you know, um, to the triple A team, to the double A team, to the high A team, whatever team I want, I want to contribute. I want to be a good teammate. I, I want to make every start. And I think if I can rack up hundred plus innings this year, 120 plus innings this year, that, that would be a win. Cause I'd be really excited to see where I end up at the end of that. So. Well, Ben, I'm, I'm looking forward to your season. I'm going to be watching closely. I'll be out in Arizona. And then, you know, when you make your first start, we'll be out there cheering you on. And hopefully, uh, you know, you're going to, you'll, you'll get to bring some of your magic over to Wrigley Field. Oh, I love that. Well, thank you so much for everything. Yeah, for, for today. No problem, Ben. You take care and thank you so much. And we'll talk to you again in the future. All right. I appreciate that. Thank you. This is the Fly the W670 podcast. Dexter Fowler retires and then returns. This is season two. This is episode number eight. And this is segment number three with Dustin Rhodes and Crowley. Crowley, let's uh, talk about The Athletic. They put out a report card, if you will. Let's, uh, let's find out what kind of a grade the Cubs received and if uh, we thought the grading was uh, fair or uh, a little unfair. Uh, yeah, the Athletic puts out their report card on the off season, so we thought we'd look at the Cubs and the rest of the NL Central, um, and, and, and so their beat writers, you know, who obviously know more about the team than anybody, are the ones that kind of put this for. So Patrick Mooney, a friend of the podcast, he's been on before, um, he gave the Cubs a grade of a B, and his explanation was after a year of downsizing half measures and PR gaps, the Cubs committed more than three hundred million to free agents. 
executing a plan to raise the floor of 2023 season with a competent major league players and consistent staples like pitching and defense. A refreshing emphasis on clubhouse dynamics factored into the addition of players like Dansby Swanson, Jamison Tyone, and Dre Mancini. Wrigleyville is always fun in the summer, but the actual on-field product could really be entertaining this year. There's a case to be made that the Cubs didn't go far enough this offseason by signing the fourth-best shortstop on the market while missing opportunities to land top-of-the-rotation starter and a middle-of-the-order hitter. That's Patrick Mooney. I would say he's spot-on, 100% agree, right? I couldn't agree more. And one of the other phrases, Crowley, right, intelligent spending. That was another another theme. I, I wondered if uh, the guys you know over at Avia Shirts had uh, put one of those together, an intelligent spending T-shirt with the with the with the slogan on there. But that that what you just read, the names you just read, that that screams intelligent spending. And listen, the bar was set pretty low. And uh, but I would agree. I like what Patrick Mooney, Mooney writes when he says that there is a refreshing emphasis of clubhouse dynamics in these players, and that Wrigleyville could actually see a better on-air product that could also be very entertaining this year. I totally agree, and I totally hope that Patrick Mooney and you and I are right. Right. When, when you're looking at this, you know, and, and what they missed out on, you know what I mean? Like, obviously. You know, we, we talked about first base. There were guys that we were kind of hoping for. And then catcher, there were some other names that we were, you know, I remember Christian Vasquez was the name that I, I was really kind of interested in. And in first base, you know, we talked about Jose Abreu and some of the other stuff. But like you said, you know, it, it, there is concern that, that Patrick brings up about middle of the order, who's going to, you know, be the big bopper on this. But I, I clearly think that, that, that it's a fair grade. You know what I mean? You get, if you ended up getting Correa, or if you ended up getting uh, Cody Senga that we mentioned before, Kodai Senga, or or some of the other guys like Christian Vasquez or or Abreu, right. then I think then if you had gotten like I think if you get like Senga and even if you had gotten Senga or Abreu with Dansby Swanson, I think they're kicking into that B plus A minus area too. Now I was surprised at the Pittsburgh Pirates. Okay, they got a B. Now, it says here, and this is written by uh, Rob Biederfell, who, who, who uh, is the beat writer for the Pittsburgh, uh, working with ownership's tight-fisted financial constraints, general manager Ben Charrington had to acquire some veterans to show the Pirates aren't tanking while also staying true to the club's build-from-within approach. Charrington spent $30.4 million, which qualifies as a shopping spree for the franchise, on free agents Andrew McCutcheon, Rich Hill, Austin Hedges, Carlos Santana, Vince Velasquez, and Harleen Garcia. McCutcheon's homecoming probably won't be enough to get the Pirates back to 500, but it'll sell a lot of tickets. The Pirates also traded for Chi Man Choi. I'm not even sure they need him at this point, and swap spare part shortstop Kevin Newman for bullpen booster Dari Moreta. If these few of these pickups can be flipped at the trade deadline, it'll be a bonus. You give well, that. That's what. It, that's what it's great. Well, I, I mean, again, I mean, did did Rob give it a B? He's the one who's got to go in the clubhouse. He's the one that's traveling around with the team. He's going to talk to the team before the games, after the games. That, that that's fine. But maybe I think it all is about the last sentence. If a few of these pickups can be flipped at the trade deadline, it'll become a bonus. And that's what I think you're talking about with these names. These are guys that are not going to get you over 500, but there are names that could actually help you get over the hump while you're waiting maybe for your everyday player to come off an injury, if you will. So, I mean, that's fine. Listen, you know you know who's great I'm worried about, Crowley? Okay? I'm worried about one team in the division's great. Okay, well, and and that's and that's the St. Louis Cardinals. Okay, can we just can we just get on with it? Okay, <laughs> I'm not worried about the Reds. Okay, the Reds they, the Reds got the Reds got us the Reds got a C plus. Okay, the, the 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 Pirates got the Pirates got a B. That's fine. That's fine. I, I, I'm just saying that when you take a look at Andrew McCutcheon and Rich Hill, I mean, I, I mean, Jesus, Rich Hill, I can't, you know, the guy, I thought he was collecting Social Security. Right, well, listen, point. congratulations <laughs> to Rich Hill for still collecting big league paychecks, right? Okay, that that's a that's a B move by Rich Hill, okay? That's actually an A-plus move by Rich Hill is what that is. But let, let's, let's get to, let's get to the biggest rival the Cubs have, and that is the St. Louis Cardinals. Let's find out what they think about Wilson Contreras. Okay, St. Louis Cardinals, C-plus is what they were given by Katie Wu. It was an underwhelming offseason for St. Louis with rising payroll totals falling far short of both the front office and the fans' expectations. The Cardinals made three major moves. Two of those were retaining Nolan Arenado and Adam Wainwright. The third was signing Wilson Contreras, filling an obvious need behind the plate while uh, simultaneously boosting the team's offense. 
St. Louis does deserve some credit for acquiring the best free agent backstop available and addressing two birds with one stone, but you don't get a top grade for doing the minimum. So C plus, Dustin. Yeah. Now, see, I, I could I could see that that maybe should be a B as well, right? I mean, maybe it is the bare minimum, but you couldn't let Nolan Arenado get out of town, okay? Adam Wainwright's coming to the end, and I think you you got the best available backstop in Wilson Contreras, and you had a gaping hole at backstop for the Cardinals. So I think they I think they did all the things they needed to do. They're also in a division where there is no clear-cut winner. This division is fairly winnable. So um, if they fall short of the postseason, then I think you go back and you say maybe this grade should have been a C minus. But for right now, I think it's I think a C plus is fair. They did they did just what they had to do. I think I'm going to go C minus on this. And if you talk to Cardinal fans. They're, they're, I don't. So, I don't. So I, I do. And, 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 and Cub, fan, Cub fans want to win the division. Cardinals are thinking World Series. They never shut well, up about how many rings right. they got. No, this is rings, not. Right? This is not World Series. They didn't do right. World Series. Here. No. And, and so I think that's where I agree with Katie. Is just it's underwhelming. And and so yeah, you kept Nolan Arenado, which you had to do. Wainwright, like you said, last legs. Wilson is the best offensive catcher. I still believe that this this I, I you know we were talking about Dexter Fowler in the first segment. You saw what a disaster that was in St. Louis. They didn't like what he did. They didn't think it was the Cardinal way. And I see Wilson Contreras falling into that same trap. Not only that, he has to follow the footsteps of, of, of Yadi Molina, who Cardinal fans think is a first ballot, Hall of Famer, walked on water catcher. He's none of those things, by the way. And where's the statue? Will that will that be ready for yeah, opening day? Exactly. So I'm just saying to have to follow that up. And 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 you and I, we on an earlier podcast, we talked about the numbers when Wilson was behind the plate. And every Cubs pitcher other than Marcus Stroman was worse when Wilson was calling the game compared to Jan Gomes. I think that that is going to be the biggest story in St. Louis, and they're going to sit there and piss and moan about it. And Wilson is a guy that that <laughs> listens. They that Wilson listens to what the media says. He blocks people on Twitter. He would get in arguments. He got in arguments. I remember with uh, Kaplan, Dave Kaplan. I mean, he sits there and he takes these things personal. He's. I don't think he's going to be happy in St. Louis. I think that he should have gone to Houston. I think career-wise, it's going to be a huge mistake for. Uh, Wilson going to St. Louis again. They did address a backstop, and offensively they did get that. But but defensively is where they're going to hurt and pitch calling, and so that is something to kind of watch it. It'll the be other, a very short honeymoon, Crawley. It'll be a very short honeymoon down there. Ab- absolutely. The other one though, the other rival that's kind of not as old as the Cardinals, but kind of pretty bitter, is the Milwaukee Brewers, who also got a C plus. And so their, uh, their uh, beat writer, Will Summon, uh, kind of talked about it like this. The front office deserves B or possibly higher. They executed a, executed a few good trades, including a great one that landed them catcher William Contreras, who the club feels can be an exciting player in the market for years. They created flexibility in the infield, replaced Hunter Renfro with Jesse Winker. So there's a Cubs killer back into the situation. Yep. Added pitching depth, having dependable options for the back end of the rotation in case of injuries is no longer an issue. The ownership's group lack of spending lowers the grade. Their biggest free agent signings have been Brian Anderson and Wade Miley. While those players are helpful on the margins, the Brewers did not change the conversation in the National League Central. No, they did not. And again, I would almost go, I I think they did the bare minimum here. I I think they're thinking, we can just do this. A couple little things go right. If we're in the mix in July, we'll, we'll, we'll flip somebody, we'll add a piece. But um, if I were the fan base of those two teams, I would be very unhappy with my owner and my general manager. And on the flip side, if you're a Cubs fan right now, you have to at least be pleased. I I know some Cub fans are holding their breath, wait and see, not so fast, my friend, all those kinds of things, which I get, I understand. But in a division that is not top-heavy at all, has no dominant team, you cannot be upset with what your Chicago Cubs have done this offseason. I think they have been sneaky good. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that with the Brewers – I, I, I've, you know, that was a white flag trade last year, similar to what happened to the White Sox all those years ago. When you're sitting there, and the and the Brewers were absolutely in contention for winning the Central and for a playoff spot, and they trade their number one closer 
and Josh Hader. I mean, you, you, the the. I still am never going to understand that one unless they just figured at some point they're never going to be able to afford him, so right, they let that, him go. That, that's what it is, and and, that, and I think that was a huge mistake because that absolutely deflated the clubhouse. You can't sit there and 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 do that like that. And I and I'm very curious to see how the Brewers. I, I think Greg Craig Council is the best manager in the NL Central. I hate to say it, I just believe it. I think he does nothing for he does nothing for me. Okay, I think I think that he's a guy that does, didn't doesn't have resources, kind of always ends up with a crappy roster, and somehow they always seem to be pretty darn good. And uh, I, I think that he kind of whatever he does, he pushes a lot of the right buttons. In my opinion, I don't like him. I never liked him as a player. I thought he had a goofy batting stance. I just think he's probably right. Yep, exactly. I think he's just probably the. Uh, but I do think that again, think about it. Think about those teams that he was running out when the Cubs had Brian and Rizzo and Baez 2016, 17, 18. He sat there in 2018 and they came and, and the Cubs had the best record and, and the and the and the Brewers came roaring back. I just I think he somehow does things and it frustrates me because I don't know how he is doing as well as he is with what he is given. And so I mean it's just gonna be the Cubs luck that Wade Miley's going to all of a sudden find health and and, and kill the Cubs. But I just don't think that offense, you know, it's it's not sustainable. And so I think their offense is going to have a lot of trouble. They do have good pitching, and they always seem to develop a good bullpen. But, you know, like you said, for the Cubs, I, I think obviously the Cardinals are going to be the number one team. And I think the Cubs are, you know, they need things to go their way. And the way – and we'll talk more about, you know, predictions and what we think will happen. But But like you said, there is no – you know, this is not the NL East right here that we're looking at. This is no. this is a weak division. Far from far from the NL East. Far from it, Carl. And I far, think that far, the far. Cubs have every opportunity if things kind of go right and they kept catch a couple of bounces that 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 they can, like Patrick Mooney said, have a lot of fun in Wrigleyville this summer, um, with the, with the Cubs having a good fun team to watch and and being in a, in a playoff chase. And after the last year and a half, Dustin, I miss it, man. I miss I miss the excitement of meaningful baseball in October, in August, and September. I do too. Crowley, that's a wrap. Season 2, Episode 8. Dexter Fowler retires and then returns is in the books. Don't forget to listen, download, review, and most importantly, subscribe to the Fly the W Podcast. And go Cubs! It's all over. 